Moses, Elijah, Jesus, Peter, James, John, God overseeing it all. Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, John, together with God, strengthening our Lord and Savior as he prepares for his departure in Jerusalem. The account of transfiguration in Luke, I think, by far is the best. It actually tells us why Jesus went up into the mountain to pray. It tells us what Moses and Elijah were discussing with him. Whenever I am blessed and honored to be a part of a wedding ceremony, and whenever I am honored to officiate at a funeral service, just before the opening invocation, I will thank those who have come, the family and the friends that have come to the great celebration of the wedding, bringing their joy and excitement to so blessed an event as is a wedding. You multiply so greatly the joy of the bride and the groom standing up front by taking your time to come to their once-in-a-lifetime special moment. Connie, the other day, speaking about our wedding 46 years ago, still remembers who was at the tables, at the reception. What is that? When one is getting married, you look out there and you see these people, these family and your friends. And perhaps that is as special as the individual you're marrying. Jesus, our Lord, went to the wedding at Canaan and Galilee. He was invited. His mom was already there. Twelve disciples were invited. I often wonder if the groom was one that maybe Jesus had spoken to. And he said, no, I can't follow you, Jesus. Go and get married here. Jesus and the disciples all at this wedding. And I'm sure the bride and the groom, as they saw the number of people that were gathered, they did not sit and think, we're going to run out of wine. They saw it, sat and said, isn't this marvelous? All of these people come to celebrate this event. You cared enough to come, isn't that the phrase? And if it be a service of a far different nature, if it be a funeral service just before the invocation, I will thank those family and friends who have taken up their precious time to be there for this family sitting in the front pews. The presence of friends bespeaks the respect and the love they have for this grieving family. You cared enough to come. To the wake, to the funeral, you cared enough to come. I've said many times at most every wedding ceremony and funeral service, the two most important things in our life, talking with Chuck Burnett about this a couple of weeks ago, the two most important things in life, They are faith in God. The Christian couple standing up here yesterday, Aaron and Lindsay, believing with all their heart that it was God who brought them together a number of years ago. That is God's fingerprints all over this wedding that is occurring. They have their faith in God. They believe that His presence is here at that wedding ceremony. And they have their family and friends gathered, and there were quite a number 
Most important thing in our life is our faith in God. When it's a funeral service, they are sitting here with tears in their eyes, but there is a hope in their hearts. Kathy Sauer, just this past week, down there for the funeral of her mother, Anne Springer, she sits there with grief in her heart, but there is also joy and a realization that her mom's suffering is done, that her mom is safe with her Lord in heaven. Two most important things in life, represented at a wedding and a funeral and so many other events, are faith in God and then the family and friends that surround us. The two most important things in life. Doesn't need to be a wedding or funeral, amen to that. Doesn't need to be a wedding or funeral. It's every single day of your life that this faith in God is part and parcel of everything going on in your life on any given day. And then when the need is there, you pick up the phone, you get the email, you get together small groups or whatever group you have going on out there, family and friends that are there to support. Did our Lord have the two most important elements? Did our Lord have a faith in God? Did he have family and friends? And the answer is a resounding yes. His faith in God quite different than ours in a way. Because whenever he talked about God, it was his heavenly father. Whenever he talked about God, it's my father in heaven. When he teaches the disciples how to pray... He says, pray this, our Father, who art in heaven. And then so much of the Lord's Prayer has to deal with the personal relationship we have with the Father in heaven. How about daily bread? How about forgiveness of my sins? How about keeping me away from evil things? When we talk to Him in the Lord's Prayer, it's a personal relationship. It's not a theological statement. Our Father, who art in heaven. I think about the only time that he said, God, John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Whoops, that's the Father again, right? But on the cross, out of his mouth comes these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's not Father any longer. It's the realm of God paying the punishment for the sins that were placed upon Jesus. As if 59 to thy sin has separated thee from God. That's what comes out of his mouth. His father is nowhere to be seen. It is God himself judging Jesus for those sins. Does Jesus have a faith in God so strong? Then when he's lying face down in the garden of Gethsemane, he doesn't say then, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't say then, God, are you really alive? He doesn't have the questions that John the Baptist did in prison. He ends the prayer by saying, My Father, if there's some other way to do this salvation thing, let it happen some other way. But not my will, thine be done. I believe in you, God. I trust you, God. Not my will, but thine be done. Extraordinary faith in God. Did he have family and friends? Yes, family wasn't too strong. During his earthly ministry, they thought he was crazy. Family not too strong. Afterwards, he appears to James, his brother, 
but his family not too strong. Friends indeed. When I taught eighth grade confirmation for a number of years, I'd always ask this question. I'd say, why did Jesus choose his disciples? And 99% of the time they said, because he needed someone to carry on the work. When he died on that cross, when he rose from the dead 40 days later, when he ascends up into heaven, someone has to do the work, Pastor. And he added, someone he needed to teach. And as I said last week, Matthew 16, 21, the teaching begins six months before he goes to the cross. Two things he says to them. The Son of Man must suffer under the hands of the chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees. He will be killed, is the word he uses. He'll be killed. He'll be murdered. And on the third day, he'll raise to life. That was the first teaching. The second teaching at the same time was this. You guys are looking for an earthly kingdom. You're looking for power and glory. The only way you're going to get it is by being the servant of others. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world? We see the lust for power going on right now. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Because he did not use his time on this earth to be the servant to others. Jesus. God is looking at Adam there in the Garden of Gethsemane. God and Adam have this really, really close relationship. I mean, God is hiking through the woods every single day, bumping into Adam. Hi there, Adam. What should we talk about today? But God looks down from heaven, he sees Adam sitting there, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And if it was that way for the first Adam, then for the second Adam, Jesus, even more crucially, it is not good for Jesus to be alone. Here's the disciples. That's the second reason he had them, for companionship. True God, true man, right? True God, true man. The true man of him needed companionship. And that's why the disciples were there. They celebrated joys with him whenever he did the miracles, man. They were his cheering squad. They looked at his miracles. They were standing there with their mouths hanging open. They couldn't believe the power this man had. They couldn't believe the compassion this man had. How many times after a miracle did the disciples say, with amazement, truly he's the Son of God? They celebrated joys with him. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, dear friends of his in Bethany. They celebrated joys. But when the other times came, when Jesus was suffering, Hebrews 4.15, we have a high priest in heaven who suffered as we have. Hebrews 2.17, since Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help us when we are tempted. When the other times came, did he not beckon the disciples to come with him as he prayed? Didn't he specifically call for Peter, James, and John on more than one occasion when he needed companionship? 
Three times in the Bible, Peter, James, and John. First time, Jairus' daughter, she's dead. He's come to the house. He says to Peter and James and John, walk upstairs with me. He wanted them to see something. He wanted them to see not the power over blindness or leprosy. He wanted them to see the power over death. And he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And Peter, James, and John, I don't know if they did their whoopees. I don't know if they even spoke. They probably were in such shock when they saw a dead girl raised to life. But they were eyewitnesses of his power. 1 Peter 1.16 They were eyewitnesses. Second time, Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. I can't do this alone. Can you come with me? And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asks all the disciples to come. But when they get to the front gate of the garden, he stops the disciples. And he looks at the three, Peter, James, and John. He stops the disciples. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. I need you to be with me. Did God understand the need? Absolutely. Did God understand the need? Absolutely. When he's tempted in the wilderness, start of his ministry, 40 days, 40 nights. After the temptation, after the final word to Satan where he said, get behind me now. He almost collapses. And the Bible says God sent an angel, I believe Michael, the great archangel. He sends an angel to Jesus to strengthen him. Garden of Gethsemane, face down. Drops of blood beating upon his skin. And as he lying face down, he sees two feet in front of him. And they're shining with glory. And it's an angel that God has sent to strengthen him. He is the Son of God. They are fishermen. But they're angels sent by God in time of need. You and I have the same responsibility. You and I have the same responsibility. God be praised if you volunteer at Christ's Hospital. God be praised if you volunteer at Mantino Veterans Home. God be praised if you're one of the 700 that are going to be October 2023, feed my starving children, packing food in our gym. God be praised. God be praised if you're one of the group going with Pastor Shower to Alaska this summer. Fingers are crossed. God be praised if you're one going with Ken Lass and myself next summer to El Salvador. God be praised, but I'm going to tell you this now. I'm helping God by volunteering at Christ Hospital. Let me, let me mention this to you. When's the last time you visited your elderly aunt? God pops her in your head every once in a while. When's the last time you visited your elderly aunt? Your next door neighbor, when he came home from the funeral six months ago, you went over there with a meal. You helped him mow his grass for a couple of weeks. He's still grieving. 
strongly as ever he was. When's the last time you saw him? The classmate in school, it's your senior year, you got three more months, you're graduating. You've known this person in the locker next to you for four years. You always wish you had a better relationship. You always wish you had spoken up more and got to know that person better. But now you've noticed in the last six weeks, they've lost some 20 pounds. Her hair, which is always fixed so nice, is now disheveled most of the time. There are circles under her eyes, and her shoulders droop. She is suffering. Will you speak to her? Will you say, can, can I come over and talk? Or can we meet somewhere? Family and friends, are they for times of joy? Absolutely. They multiply it. But I dare say that the most important reason God has put family and friends into our life is when the suffering comes. And they are there. Did Jesus have God? Absolutely. Peter, James, and John, I need you. Would you come with me? My son Joshua, favorite three words, let's grab lunch. Then he wonders why he can't lose any weight. Let's grab lunch. And here's when he says it to someone. When something is not right, when he feels that something isn't right in someone's life at work, in the neighborhood, in the family that he's married into, his three favorite words, let's grab lunch. The guy is not so close to at work, and, and he said, I'm going to tell him, let's grab lunch. I said, are you going to tell him, let's grab lunch? He said, I absolutely am. I want to find out what's going on here. And when he says, let's grab lunch, he's saying, I care about you. I sense something is wrong, and I want to be there for you. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's sweating drops of blood, did he have a panic attack? Did it just come to him at that moment? No. It began six months earlier. And that's why he goes up the Mount of Transfiguration. And that's why I I like Luke 9 for the Transfiguration accounts. Why is he going up there? Why does he need Peter, James, and John? Why does Moses and Elijah come Because he's already beginning to suffer the cross of Calvary. Satan's already whispering him, did God say that I must climb the cross? God does surely lie. The same words he used with Adam and Eve. The suffering has begun. Peter, James, and John, they fall asleep like they'll do six months later. Get a kick out of that, man. They just fell asleep. God pulls out the big guns. Moses been dead 1,500 years. Elijah's been dead 950 years. God pulls out the big guns. Here's Moses. Your disciples are sleeping, Jesus. Here's Moses. Here's Elijah. Why not Samson? 
Why not Jonah? Why not David? Why not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Why not Daniel in the lion's den? Why Moses? Why Elijah? Theologians will say Moses was the lawgiver and Elijah was the greatest of the prophets. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill their work. That's a theological statement. I look at it differently. Why Moses? Because Moses could say to Jesus, I was told by God, I was asked by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And I told God, you got the wrong guy. I have no courage. I stutter when I speak. (laughs) You got the wrong guy. And he said, God told me I got the right guy. Stand before Pharaoh. I will be your voice and I will be your strength. And Jesus, by the time it was done, 1.2 million Israelites were set free from slavery in Egypt. Jesus, if you climb the cross, it will not be 1.2 million Israelites. It will be every human being ever born onto this earth that believes in you. They will be saved. God shall be with you as he was with me. And I raise up the staff and the Red Sea opens. And when you climb that staff, the cross, the payment will be done. Elijah, Jesus, Mount Carmel, not Mount Calvary, but Mount Carmel. I stood there, Jesus, you know the scripture. I stood there, 850 prophets of Baal against me, 7,000 still following God in the land. And when I prayed, the fire came down from heaven. 850 prophets demolished. 7,000 faithful in the land saved. Ahab and Jezebel, their reign was done. The Israelites came back to you. Jesus, from the lips of Elijah, go to the cross. Because as my buddy Moses said, when you go to the cross, It'll be every human being ever born onto this earth who believes in you that will be saved. He defeated Pharaoh. I defeated Ahab and Jezebel. You will defeat Satan. And your victory will be over sin, death, and the power of the devil. They were encouragers. You and I need to be encouragers. How do you encourage? Here's what God has done for me. He's opened up red seas in your life, has he not? Impossible situations that you were in, and by the time God was through, you're sitting there saying, what just happened? The Red Sea opened. You were delivered. How many times? Not just once or twice. You need to be encouragers, folks. What God has done for you, you need to share with others like Moses and Elijah did with Jesus. And when Moses and Elijah were finished speaking, what direction did Jesus take? Did he say, I'm not convinced? God came and he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
Why did God say that? Because after Moses and Elijah spoke to him, Bible says, Luke chapter 9, he set his face with great determination for Jerusalem and for the cross. Moses and Elijah didn't have the final word. God did. Cloud comes down. Why? Exodus 33, 20. No man can see the face of God and live. Cloud comes down to cover the face of God. Just his voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Follow him. And so we shall as we enter this season of Lent. Never a moment you do not have your faith in God. Never a moment you do not have his angels, family and friends that he sends across your path. In our Savior's name, amen. Would you rise for a moment as we pray? Lord, thank you for sending people into my path at times of great need. Thank you for sending yourself across my path at all times. Lord, we do not have Moses and Elijah here, but we have the Bible. And Moses and Elijah is in the Bible and all the other characters that are there. And we learn every time we open up your word. One of the most significant things we learn is this. If I follow God's will, I do not need to be afraid or tremble, for the Lord God himself is with me. Never a moment in chaotic times, never a moment we do not realize your presence, your peace, and your strength. In our Savior's name, amen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.